Today, during our time in God's Word, we're going to be talking about one of the most important things we could be talking about. And that important thing that we're going to be talking about is the subject of love. We need to talk about love because the Bible, in essence, says if we don't have it, we really don't have anything. So it's of great importance that we understand love. And it's also great importance that we understand love because so many in the world around us seem to have lost their minds about what love is and what isn't. And so what we're going to do today is have a little refresher refresher course from the book of 1 John. And we're going to talk about love in 1 John. But really, 1 John helps us to understand the whole Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, about this important topic, the important topic of love. So if you have a Bible, you can find 1 John. If you're a note taker uh, or if you're just trying to figure out where I am in my outline so you can plan when lunch is going to be and calculate better, uh, Right? Seven biblical truths about love, and maybe, if need be, it'll be a two-parter and we'll go to lunch early. But the idea is to look at First John, not from start to finish, not every verse, but to look at the theme of love in First John so that we can be reminded, so we can have our, our heads on straight. Uh, we want to have our, our minds turned on and our Bibles open so that we can think about the subject of love. This will be a review for lots of you, but maybe not all review. First John. Now, some of you are thinking, I thought we were talking about Exodus today. Well, that's what I was thinking too, until about Friday afternoon when I was about to have a nervous breakdown um, because of doing too many things and too many deadlines. And so I pushed the, EG, I pushed the Exodus button on Exodus <sighs> to keep from jumping off of a bridge. So, um, so we, I, I said last week we were going to do Exodus today, and I said we're going to, the week before I said we're going to do Exodus today, and uh, if for no other reason it helps you to rem- remember you shouldn't trust your pastor. <laughs> I'm not a good savior. Only trust Jesus. I hope I'm somewhat trustworthy. I hope I can generally keep my word, but I'm going to let you down. Um, and so, uh, no Exodus today. But let me give you a little t- a foretaste. Let me give you a preview. Um, I haven't been vacationing. I've been working on Exodus. And really what I want to do is not have us do the whole book. We'll do that maybe another time. That would be good to do. But I want to talk about the Exodus, not, not even the theme. Um, scholars would call it the motif, uh, the interpretive key uh, that Exodus is, because it really is an important interpretive key for the whole Bible. And I'm always for trying to understand the whole Bible better and making things as simple as I possibly can. And so what we hopefully, Lord willing, will do, not today, um, but what we will do is we'll look at, number one, we'll look at Exodus as the historic event, like in the book of Exodus, second book of the Bible. So we will do that, overview. So the historic Exodus. Then, Lord willing, what we'll do next is look at the Exodus after the Exodus. And you say, what is that? Well, think of Jesus, who is the Passover lamb. He's the Exodus lamb. Oh, think of Jesus, who doesn't uh, free his people from bondage in Egypt, like in Exodus, but he redeems his people out of the slave market of sin. Different than Egypt, but similar. And you get the idea. So it's on purpose that Jesus, in so many ways, is related to the historic Exodus. Right? Because he sets us free in a different sense, but in a similar sense. So we're going to do the Exodus. We're going to do the historic Exodus, the Exodus after the Exodus. And then we're going to do the future Exodus. Because when we talk about the 
world to come, when we talk about future kinds of things and heaven and things like that, it's spoken of in Exodus-like terminology, deliverance-like terminology, ultimate Exodus. So it's reoccurring. And then, (laughs) so historic Exodus, Exodus after the Exodus, and then we're going to do the future Exodus. And then once I've gotten all of you to buy in from the Bible, and you're like, okay, this makes sense. And then I'm going to say, and then what we're going to do is we're going to do the Exodus before the Exodus. And we're going to go back to Genesis. And we have Exodus themes in Genesis, which comes before Exodus. And you're going to say, I think I can understand my Bible better with the Exodus motif key that helps me to unlock the whole thing. And did you even notice today in Psalm 77, it depended upon the Exodus key, the Exodus motif, even way later in the Psalms to grapple with struggles in life. I'm excited, right? Maybe that should just be the short Exodus sermon. There, to, I made it simple. Let's just be done. We didn't even open our Bibles except the first John. It's amazing. Well, I kid, um, but that's what we're up to. I just want to be able to make it um, clearer and simpler as far as doing all of the work behind the scenes. But I am excited about it. First John, seven biblical truths about love that Christians need to know about, that non-Christians even would need to know about. Number one, love is the most basic commandment. Love is the most basic commandment. Yes, it is a commandment. It comes from God according to his law, but it's the most basic commandment. There are all kinds of myths that some of you might have believed sometime in your life. Some people think that that love doesn't show up until the New Testament, that love doesn't show up until Jesus. And what we learn from 1 John is Love is the most basic commandment of all. It's part of God's law, and it's always been a part of God's law. It's important that we understand it in the New Testament, but it's the most basic of all commandments. How about, let's just choose 1 John chapter 3, verse 11, then we'll do 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 and following, just to get this sense that this is the most basic law of all. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. And I think that's the beginning beginning uh, in light of John 1, 1 and 1 John 1, 1. So you've heard from the beginning. It, it, it's that old that we should love one another. So from the beginning, this is how it's been. Human beings should love each other. That's pretty straightforward. Uh, that's how it's been from the beginning. He calls it a message, but elsewhere he calls it a commandment, as we will see. So the most basic commandment of all is to love other people, love other human beings. And if we go back a little bit to 1 John chapter 2, verse 7, we have something very similar to that statement. Beloved, I am writing to you, ha, no new commandment, right? This isn't new. This is like from the beginning, He's just saying it another way. I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. And some people think that's from the beginning of your Christian life. I don't think that's the case. I think in light of chapter 1, verse 1, in light of 3.11 that we just looked at, in light of the way he tends to use that kind of verbiage, he's saying it's, it's as old as the beginning. What's the most basic thing that God requires of human beings? The most basic thing of all is love. So John Lennon is right. All you need is love. 
He doesn't know what he's talking about in the song, but he's right in concept. The most basic thing of all, what God has always required, is love. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, keeping my day job. So, but you see the idea. It's, it's a, not a new commandment. It's not a new covenant thing. It's not a New Testament thing. It's an old thing. It's as old as the hills. Oh, it's even older than that. But then if we keep reading, it says in verse 7 of 1 John 2, the old commandment is the word that you have heard. Okay, we're going to stop there for now. I want to keep going, but I want to stop there for now. So let's keep in mind, if we gave the microphone to Jesus, for example, and we, we said, okay, Jesus, we're interviewing you in Luke chapter 10, Jesus would agree. He would say, you know what, my disciple John is saying the, the correct thing. Uh, remember Luke chapter 10, we go there quite a bit. I won't ask you to turn there right now, I'll just do it super fast. But when Jesus has a dialogue with somebody who's an expert in God's old law, and the question is, what must I do to gain eternal life? And then Jesus puts the question back on them, and he says, you know, what's written in the law? What do do you think? And it's, what? Love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, Jesus is talking to someone living in the Old Testament world, if you will, and what is he giving him? He's giving him Leviticus 18, which is Old Testament. It's really old. From the very beginning, really old. As a matter of fact, you just need to love God and love your neighbor, and everything will work out fine. All you need is love. Now, we know that's a problem because we're not very good at it as sinful people, but that's been the commandment all along. It's the most basic, fundamental obligation that we have. Fair enough? Pretty straightforward. It's what God has always expected. It's what God expects now. It's the, the requirement, even if we can't meet the requirement. Now, since we're in First John, I do want you to see that it's also new. It's the most, but just since we're already there, I want you to understand something. And then we'll quickly go to the second biblical fact or biblical reality. But since we're in First John chapter 2, verse 7, let's now go to verse 8. Then it says, at the same time, it is a new commandment. And you're like, what? Now, lots of you aren't saying, what? Because you know, you have the category straight. But lots of you don't have the category straight. And so let's think this through. He's not contradicting himself. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you. How can that be? He says it's not new. And then he says it is new. How could that be? How could the same commandment be not new and new at the same time without contradiction? He goes on to say, let's keep going, which is true in him. And in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Which is another way of saying, because of the gospel. Because if you're believing in Christ, you're in Him, right? And there's this relationship that's inseparable. What he's getting at is this. And I'm getting a little off track, but I want you to understand, and it's important to understand our Bibles. It's the same commandment. Love God, love neighbor. It's always been there, it always will be there. It's not new, but he says it is new for you if you're believing in Jesus, if you're united to Christ by faith, because it doesn't damn you anymore, right? It doesn't condemn you anymore because he's met the obligation for you. He's loved God perfectly with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he's loved his neighbor as himself. That's why he came to fulfill all righteousness. That's settled now. So now you're not terrified by that law. You say, somebody's upheld it for me. And now it's a new commandment because now I'm in Christ. Now I want to do the right thing out of gratitude 
not out of terror and I'll never do good enough. So is love an old commandment or a new commandment? Yes, right? It's a trick question, but but it's not a contradiction. Love is an old commandment, but it's also new if you're a new creation in Christ because now you're safe and you're not going to be condemned and now you want to do the right thing. And so it's it's wonderful to see that both of those are true. If you're in Christ, you're not afraid. And so it's new in that sense. Now I want to do the right thing for the right reason because I belong to the family. I'm in him. But it's the most basic commandment. It's the most basic commandment for all people, unbelievers included. And you know what? Now that you're a Christian, if you are a Christian, it's the most basic commandment. And it's the expectation that you'll do this. Okay, let's keep moving. I don't want to belabor that anymore, but there's so much confusion about it. I wanted to talk about it a little bit at least. Number two, second biblical reality. Second biblical truth about love is, and that is love is reasonable. Love is reasonable. First John assumes this way of thinking. He, he, he assumes that his readers know you're supposed to love God. Okay, I won't take the time to survey First John. He assumes you know you're supposed to love God and you're supposed to love other people, which will be belabored in the book just reasonable. Think about why it's reasonable. If there is a creator and he made you, it would be reasonable that you would treat him like he's your creator, that you would love him and see him as different than all, all other things. And then if he made you uniquely different than your pets, okay? And he made other people uniquely different from their pets, that you would then have an obligation toward them to love them uniquely. Not the same way you love him, but to love them differently than you would love other things, so to speak. It's reasonable. And then there's another point of reason is, if you have other Christians who've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and, and, and you have that in common, you're going to love them in a unique kind of way. That would be reasonable. You're, you're in this new family together that's different. So it's a reasonable thing. But now what I want you to do is is go where First John assumes we already have been in our minds, but I don't want to make that assumption. And that's to the Old Testament, to Deuteronomy 6. So if we go to Deuteronomy 6, I, let's think about the reasonableness of love. I won't ask you to go to any other books of the Bible. So if you're feeling overworked because you had to find an Old Testament book, um, sorry, not sorry. Okay. So the whole Bible assumes the reasonableness of creator creature, unique kind of relationship, and then a unique kind of relationship with image bearers because we're different from all the other created things, created beings. Okay, so it's reasonable that you love God differently than anyone and everything else. It's reasonable that you love other people more than you love your pets, even though we might love our pets. As I like to say, Ozzy thinks I'm sovereign. Unless Molly's giving Ozzy more treats or one of the kids is. I'd rather love my dog than some people and that shows my sinfulness. But it's kind of fun. <laughs> Sometimes sin is fun. You get the idea, okay? People are special. Okay, Deuteronomy 6, get all the silliness out of your head if you would. Deuteronomy 6.4 is one of the most significant passages if you were to interview a Jewish person in the whole world. 
Okay, so all of you going to Israel, 50 some of you going to Israel in a couple, of, uh, nine days or whatever the, the timing is. Anybody know the minute? Anyway, all the jewelry is going to have the Shema on it. All of the, even if you can't make it out and you want to pretend like you know Hebrew and you say, that's kind of a nice necklace. It says this. Okay. It says the Shema, the listen, this is important. What's the most important thing? You need to know this. Okay. So we can pretend like we know Hebrew because it's going to say this Deuteronomy six, four Hear, O Israel, the Shema, listen, this is crucial Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. There's only one Lord. There's only one God. The nations have their gods. There are lots of lowercase g gods, but there's only one actual God. Okay? Monotheism is the idea. There's only one God. Guess what? There's something that happens logically if there's only one God. Let's keep going. Therefore is the idea. Verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with... All, if there's only one, then there's the all, all your heart. And with all your soul, if there's only one Lord, it's all your soul. And with all your might, if there's only one Lord, it's all your might is the idea. See what's happening? There's only one God. And so he should receive your, 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 all of your affection that a God would deserve. So if there are five gods, it can't be all, all, and all. If there are 330 million gods, it can't be all, all, and all. But if there's only one Lord, it's all, all, and all. I, I almost remember where I was sitting when I first figured that out. You have that aha moment. And you're like, this makes so much sense. Huh. I'm a, I'm kind of slow a slow learner at times, but when I do learn something, it's like that is amazing. This is just logical. There's only one Lord, so we give Him our all-in kind of devotion. We don't divide it. And he goes on to say great things. And these words that I command you today, you shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And he goes on to just talk about more ways that it's, it's the most important thing you could, you could know when it comes to theology proper, God is what we mean by that. And when we study these things and, and what should be our response? I'm all in. No division to my devotion. It's logical. It makes sense. It's reasonable. And then we could talk about the reasonableness now of, as I already previewed, if there are others made in his image, I'm going to love them differently than I love other created things or beings. It makes sense. It makes sense. Everything assumes this. The New Testament assumes this. Jesus assumes this. God is unique. Image bearers are unique in a different sense. Doing okay? I prefer to have us do biblical studies like this. For example, in 1 John, you could have figured this out on your own. You just read 1 John and look for the love themes and look for the rationality of things. And you could say, all right, here are seven truths about love. And 1 John's assuming this, that there's only one God, so we give him all our devotion. Because it helps you to know how to think about God and your actions. And it helps you to know how to face all different kinds of scenarios and situations. I don't want to be the person who stands here and tells you how to make every decision in life. 
It's not my calling as a pastor, but I want you to know who God is and what he expects. And you know what? You can figure out how that applies to your life and your need for Christ on your own if you're a thinking person. And so that's what we're up to. That's what we're doing. Let's go to number three. Three biblical realities, biblical truths about love we're learning from First John. Number three, love is a problem for sinners. Love is a problem for sinners. Now, sinners don't have a problem talking about love. We talk about love all of the time. But it is to truly do what we've been talking about is a problem, right? That's, that's why most of us are here today. We know this. So one God, I've got to give him all of my devotion and I don't do that. That's a problem for me. So in First John, let's go to chapter 4, maybe chapter 1, chapter 2. We've got to think this through. Okay, I understand what the obligation is. I understand the logic of the obligation. I even get excited about the logic of the obligation. First John 4.10 says, And this is love, not that we have loved God. Now that seems like all kinds of wrong. That's what we're supposed to do. That's the whole, that's kind of the whole deal. We're supposed to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Ask Jesus in Luke chapter 10. But he says, and this is love, not that we have loved God. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. First John 3 says sin is lawlessness. Oh, if I'm going to grapple with this, I've got to realize that, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. It makes sense that I'm supposed to do it, but I'm not good at it. So isn't it interesting that if I really want to understand love, I need to understand those things, but that God loved us in such a way that he would make atonement for our lack of loving him the way we're supposed to. He made atonement for that through his son, Jesus. That's extraordinary. So if we need to understand Christianity, we need to understand it's not, here's what God requires and it's reasonable and uh, go for it. No, we have a sin problem that needs to be propitiated. We don't love God the way we're supposed to, so we need atonement. So now you really want to come back to understanding love as a Christian? It's not because you're such a good, loving person that God rewarded you with eternal life. It's he made propitiation, atonement for your bad loving. And he did so out of love for you through his son. First John 1 John 1.8 says, if we say we have no sin, another way of saying that is I'm really good at loving God and he'll reward me for it. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We're going to get there. A big part of 1 John is trying to get you to love other people the right way. That's a big takeaway from 1 John. And we, we all need to be reminded that we need to be better at loving other people better. But he doesn't just jump us there. He makes sure we're also thinking deeply and profoundly about God's love for us. And he loves us when we're sinners. So you can love other people when they're sinners. Because God loved you when you're a sinner. So that's why it's important that you do the, do, do the hard work, if you will, to figuring this. God loves us when we're sinners, providing atonement. And so then later on when we say, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Christian, you should love other Christians. 
Yeah, but they're not very lovely. That's right, they're not. And neither are you. And God loved us when we needed to have our sins propitiated. So that's what we're building on here, to see, to understand. Okay, how about 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and following? We, we, we love as non-Christians, but we, we don't love the right way and we don't love the right things. So this is what would come naturally to you as an unbeliever who talks a lot about love, writes songs about love, writes movie scripts about love, writes poetry about love, writes novels about love. We love to talk about love as unbelievers, but we don't get it. We're not very good at it. We, we have wrong categories, wrong thinking. First John chapter 2, verse 15 says, Do not love the world. And I don't think that means um, going to movies and playing cards, like a couple of generations used to say. I, I'm not a big fan of cards, so I hope the Bible's against cards. But never mind, that's just my, my personal problem. But the idea is, he's going to define what he means by world. Okay, And it's not just all the stuff that conservatives don't like. He's going he's gonna to explain what he means. Do not love the world. He's going to talk about the philosophies, the ideologies, the things that are contrary to God's will. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him for all that is in the world. Here, he see he's defining it. The desires of the flesh. What would come naturally, if you will, if you were God as a sinner, as opposed to what God says, the desires of the flesh. That's the world. The desires of the eyes, that's the world. The pride of life, that's the world. These are all sinful things that now become objects of your love. They've replaced God. You're supposed to give God your ultimate affection, and now you're giving created things your ultimate affection. Actually, things that God actually says are wrong, you're giving your ultimate affection toward. And the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. The fallen system of ideologies and philosophies, if you will. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does not does the will of God abides forever. So at least keep in mind before we move on to number four, sinners are not very good at loving. We, we don't get it. We don't understand the point of reference. So we need to be loved first by God to make atonement for our bad loving. Because what do we love? We love the things that we see as sinners that are actually sinful things that maybe appeal to our emotions, to appeal to our fallen sensibilities, appeal to the voices that we're hearing from people that we look up to and who influence us. And he says, don't do that. But see what we would naturally love apart from God's revelation, apart from God's help, apart from the gospel, is actually the wrong thing to love. So I'll just fall, I'll fall on my sword so you don't, misunderstand. I'm not here trying to to scold everybody for being bad because I'm so good. My natural inclination, apart from God's grace, is to love the things that my sinful heart and my sinful eyes see as lovely. And to say, I'm good at loving. I love all of these things. Let me tell you about love. I'm an expert at it. And he's saying, you're loving the wrong things. It doesn't actually even make sense. And these things are temporary. You need to actually be told by God and helped by God through Christ to see you should be loving God who lasts forever, who is for you in Christ and providing forgiveness for your bad loving. This is great stuff. Super helpful to see. Well, we better do number four. Let's go another one of these, another biblical truth about love from First John. And that is, and this is going to be overlap. Love is reserved for God and neighbor. 
ultimate love, if you will, ultimate affection, ultimate devotion should be reserved for God and then complementary toward image bearers and neighbor. So yes, we're to enjoy the world. Yes, we can do all things. We can eat, drink, and do everything we do for the glory of God. That is true. But when it comes to special love, unique love, love is reserved for God and neighbor. It's already been assumed from chapter 4, verses 10, and chapter 4, verse 20. But now, let's talk about fellow humans. That's the God side. But let's look at, let's look at fellow humans. Fellow, fellow humans in 1 John chapter 4, verse 21. And this commandment we have from Him. 421. And this commandment we have from Him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And in that case, he's even talking about Christians. It's still truer to love our neighbor, but here's a, a unique kind of love for Christians. So in one sense, we have both there. He's assuming you love God now as a Christian. He's assuming you know that that's right and your supreme devotion should be to him. But there's also a connected obligation, and that is to love your brother. The rub for these Christians he was originally addressing and the rub for me is I like to say I love God. And I can put a good theological explanation on it. I can tell you I don't love God perfectly, but it's a new commandment for me. Christ met the obligation for me. And so I'm safe and I have assurance. And so now because I'm in the family, it's not the old commandment anymore. That's been met. It's the new commandment. And so I love God. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. But I still don't really like loving other sinners very much. Pastor Mike Grimes and I had a conversation recently. We were just toying around and talking about if I, if we weren't Christians, well, what would we say? What's my number one reason for not being a Christian? And I said, Christians. <laughs> he said, their music. <laughs> so. <laughs> I shouldn't be so honest, <laughs> right? You think it's one, I, I can have this conceptual idea of a perfect being who loved me when I was unlovely and sent his son to die for me and I've been reconciled to him. I, that, I, that's, that's easier for me. But I have to live with you and you have to live with me. And part of the, the, the genius of 1 John is if you love God, you love other people. In fact, you could argue it's harder. Because it's one thing for me to fib a little bit about God. It's not so easy to do with other people and other Christians. Our love, our special affection. God, first and foremost. Image bearers, yes. But we're in the same family. There's, some, there's something special that's supposed to happen between us. First John for sure is arguing toward that. Let's move on to number five. Number five, another truth about love from First John. Love is first shown by God to sinners in Christ. It is first shown by God to sinners in Christ. This is overlap, I know, but I want you to see it in First John 3. I want you to see it in First John 4. It starts here. It's here first, and it will help us to do the other kinds of love. 
So number five, love is first shown by God to sinners in Christ. First John 3.16, it's easy to remember because everyone remembers John 3.16. First John 3.16, by this we no love. Man, there are a lot of people talking about love and they sure seem to speak dogmatically. I think I'm going to keep my brain turned on and my Bible open. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. If I, if I want to be able to see more clearly through all of the chaos, you know how I know love? That he, Jesus, the all-knowing eternal son who is wisdom personified, who became incarnate, he laid his life down for us. And we've already seen he laid his life down for a particular purpose, to make atonement, to make propitiation for our sins. So when you lose touch and you can't see straight and you're confused or enraged with anger or who knows what it is, you can always go back to 1 John 3.16 and know what love is. The ultimate expression of love. Ultimate clarity regarding love. There's a moral obligation tied to it, but I don't want to get ahead and read the rest of it. 1 John 4, let's go to uh, maybe one chapter over. 1 John 4, 9. 1 John 4, 9 says, and 10, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. This is another great touchstone. How can I clearly know something absolutely true about love? Well, it was made clear. It was made manifest in time and space, in history. Made manifest among us. In other places, John so much likes, likes to talk about, we touched it. We handled it. Real time and space, not just ethereal, not just in, in a philosophical concept. He's using a similar kind of uh, image here. Was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He loves first. Again, we're doing, we're, we're, these are building blocks because if I understand that, now I'm going to better understand how I might be able to love other people who aren't altogether lovely. So let's do number six and then seven quickly. Number seven, another truth from First John about love. Love by Christians is both possible and expected. Love by Christians is both possible and expected. 1 John 3.16, we were just there. 1 John 4, we were just there. But we're going to do the latter part of it. 3.16, and the latter part, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. He laid down his life for us, so there's an ought. I'm not making propitiation for your sins. That would be category confusion. He lays his life down to do that, but I'm called to love you in an imitating kind of way. What can I do to help you? He did the ultimate helping, if you will. It only makes sense that I would want to help you because we belong to the same family. Christians ought to love. Uniquely other Christians even. 1 John 4.19, again, verse 19 says, we love because he first loved us. How about verse 20? If anyone says, I love God. I always like to think of accents I don't like in hearing that. 
I love God, right? Or something like that. Something like super over the top, you know, mystical, prideful. Maybe you think of a different voice. You're free to do so. But if anyone says, you know, with, with puffed out chest and look at me, I love God. I don't know about you, but I love God. <laughs> if anyone says, I love God and, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. I, I show him that guy. Apart from God's grace. Verse 21. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This, this is a, just a point of rationality. This is a point of similarity. This just makes sense. I've been forgiven so I can forgive. I've been loved uniquely as someone who wasn't lovely, so I now have the ability to love other people who aren't lovely. Because I am one, is the, is the rationale. It's not confusing. And when this happens, it's a source of assurance. It's not the only source of assurance. Assurance, first and foremost, comes, from, comes by believing in Jesus. But in chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, latter part of verse 1, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever's been born of him. And by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome because they're now new to us because we're new in Christ. They would have been burdensome before. Now they're not. Now, hopefully you're hearing me say this. Christians, he says, ought to love other Christians. It's your obligation. It's not an option. It's a, it's a command. It's a requirement. And you say, maybe, you're such a legalist. <laughs> no. I'm not telling you you do these things to become a Christian. I'm telling you you do these things because you are a Christian. All of God's grace. I try to go out of my way to not give you every single week ought, 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 ought lest I start speaking in tongues or something strange, right? It's not about that. But if you're a Christian, you've been forgiven and your sins have been taken away. You can now love God actually, not perfectly, but actually. New commandment. Guess what? Love other Christians. And if you don't love other Christians, I'm going to say you should. You, you, let me use the Bible word, ought. <laughs> because you're a Christian. And so back to that story, I, I fell on my sword earlier. I told Mike Grimes uh, that if I weren't a Christian, the reason I would give for not being a Christian is Christians. I did go on to say, it is interesting though to, for example, come to a worship service on a Sunday. It is a, a thrill, if not the greatest thrill of my life. To be with so many different kinds of people. People you might want to go on vacation with, people you would never go on vacation with, right? I mean, people who have the same kind of similarity, uh, does, uh, hobbies as you have, people who have hobbies that you would want nothing to do with. I mean, there's so many different kinds of people. I love it. it it's, 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 it's fun. What do we have in common? Why would I love these people? Hello, my name is Pat, and I have a problem, right? I'm a sinner. 
That's what we have in common. But not only that, we have a Savior who loves all different kinds of people and we're part of the same family. Doesn't mean we have to have the same hobbies. But it's pretty amazing that we have the same Savior and we actually can love each other. And to watch it happen is amazing. Is amazing. Okay, number seven, finally. I think we're on seven. Final truth about love, biblical love from First John. And love is more than thought or word. Love is more than thought or word. This is going to be in chapter three also. We've already been there. We're going to go there again where he specifically talks about this. And then we'll end. This is a good one because sometimes we say things like, well, you know, it's the thought that counts. Isn't it good that that's not how God operates? Well, yeah, they all deserve to go to hell because none of them have loved me with heart, soul, mind, and strength. None of them have loved their neighbor as themselves. And I could do something about it, but you know what? It's the thought that counts. (laughs) It's not the thought that counts. It's the doing something that counts. Love, yes, may involve thought. I hope it does. (laughs) I hope it does. But love, as we see it from God and we're to imitate it, goes beyond the thought to the action. Okay? It's not the thought that counts nakedly. Verse 16 says in chapter 3, By this we know love that he laid, right? He didn't think thoughts. He laid down his life for us. He acted. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Action. 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet clothes, closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? It's a rhetorical question. 18 says, finally, we'll end here. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Do you think he means we can never say things about love? Never talk about it, only show. I don't think that's the idea. But we don't only talk about it. We do what we can. Remember this, please. This is not the obligation. Well, let me back up. No one gets to heaven this way. It's the obligation. I almost said this is not the obligation to get into heaven. It actually is the obligation to get into heaven, to love God perfectly and love your neighbor perfectly and appropriately. But no one gets there that way, which is why we need Jesus Christ, the righteous from first John, the perfect law keeper, the perfect one who loves perfectly. That's the way to eternal life. That's the way to the family, to have your sins propitiated, right? So we don't become Christians by being better at loving. But please notice this too and we'll end. Christians who belong to the family by God's grace, because you're trusting in the work of Jesus, are obligated. It's a new commandment, but we're obligated to love others. And it actually shows that we love God. And it shows that we understand that He's loved us. The final takeaway, I promise, the final, final, final. To the degree that I refuse to love, it reveals something about my understanding of God's love for me. 
I don't know every need. I can't meet every need. I can't perfectly love in that sense. But when I refuse to, I probably don't understand what a sinner I am and what a sinner I was when Christ gave his life for me. Right? If he can love me, in other words, I can love you. And if he can love you, you can love other fellow sinners. That's why First John puts such an emphasis on the theology of it. So when somebody says, I just cannot love them, I want to say, then you don't understand Christianity. Yeah, but I just can't forgive them, which is wrapped up in this. Then you don't understand the gospel. Because he's made propitiation for our sins. That's how much he loved us. It's glorious. It's grand. It's wonderful. It's freeing. A new commandment. May God help us to love each other. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a great little reminder from 1 John about this profound reality, your command to love. Help us to look to Christ, to meet our ultimate obligation, and then to look to our neighbor, to love them because we've been loved by Christ. Do this for your honor and for your glory. Do it for the good of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you as you go. Have a great day.